0: Okay, guys. Let's uh, let's start. Turn into your um, preface, page sixteen in your preface. Uh, before we start praying, though, um, the uh, two weeks from now, I believe. Palmer, man, what's going on over there? Shh. <laughs> Feel like I'm working with middle schoolers here. Just kidding. All right. Um, no, in two in two weeks. So November second, uh, we have a, a a unit with the art professor Dr. Matt Milliner. Some of you might know who he is because he led the men's retreat. Uh, I think four years ago in 2019, uh, he did a whole retreat on Lucas Chronic, the Chronic. Does anyone remember that one by chance? Anybody who was here? Oh, okay. Well, I thought it was awesome. But. Is that the one about grace and art? Yes. Law and gospel and the art. That's right. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate that. Sam, by the way, is not here tonight. So we're going to call out Sam Moyer in Radioland and tell him that he's not getting any more pawpaws. Okay. No, but Matt Milliner, he is going to come in the month of November, so November 2nd, 9th, and 16th. November 23rd is Thanksgiving. And he's going to be teaching on art, as you might imagine. Uh, and it's uh, Mary for Midwest Lutherans. Uh, he uh, is an Anglican, he's, he's, uh, but he has the, the men's retreat from a few years ago. He is well versed in Lutheran theology and Lutheran art specifically. Yeah, he's also a great guy and a great speaker. And so he's gonna be doing the month of November. So just FYI. There's more information in the life together if you want to. I forgot to bring the announcement, so we can I'll bring it next week. Thought I'd give you a little heads up. Okay. Excellent. Well, let's, uh, let's begin. Page 16. Oh, I left my Bible in the chapel. Uh, well, no, no, no. I don't need it. If someone wants to read, um, anyone want to, want to read the Bible? And that would be on, on, you know, when we turn the page on the top of the promises of Jesus on the top of page. What is that? Oh, I'm sorry. We start on page 15. Sorry, on the top of page 16. Uh, I'm gonna. We're just gonna read one Bible verse, John 14:12. Does anyone anyone have it handy that would wouldn't mind reading? Yeah. Jen. All right, David, John 14:12. Thank you. And then, does anyone want to lead the prayer tonight? I will. All right, James, go ahead. Begin whenever you're ready. Uh, okay. I chose, I chose that Bible verse, John 14, 12, because, uh, well, it kind of says something pretty grandiose. Truly, truly, I say, oh, I'm sorry, before that, though, real quick, Palmer had a really good question earlier tonight. Uh, He asked, how many times did the Lord, the Lord celebrate the Lord's Supper? Now, it's sort of a trick question. I didn't give him the smart aleck answer. I said, <laughs> "He celebrates it all the time. Every time we come to church, right?" Okay. Amen. But I was we making reference to in the scriptures, and um, the uh, his main question though was when Jesus talks about, uh, "You know, I'm not going to eat this with you until I eat it again with you in the kingdom of God," and uh, and then of course in Luke 24. Jesus uh, is on the road to Emmaus and comes to the uh, Cleopas and the other disciples' house, and he teaches them from his word, and then he breaks bread, and they recognize him in the breaking of the bread, and then he vanishes from their, their sight. You know, historically, that's always been another... that's been like a Lord's Supper. That's been a divine service in a sense. So, the kingdom of God... What does that mean when Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm not going to eat this until I eat it with you in, in, in the kingdom. And, you know, Jesus, the kingdom of God is not just heaven, as in, in insofar as our life after death. But remember the kingdom of God in, in Luke chapter seven, maybe I can't, remember. he's walking along and he tells everybody the kingdom of God is in the midst, in your midst. And of course, visually speaking, you have all these people walking around Jesus, and Jesus is in the middle, so he's making reference to himself. He is the kingdom of God, or being coming into God's presence through Jesus. The other thing that's interesting is in Mark chapter 15, Joseph of Arimathea, we all know him, right? He's the guy who came and got the body of Jesus. Well, after Jesus dies, it says, Joseph of Arimathea was seeking the kingdom of God and asked Pilate for the body. Which, of course, is a very interesting thing to say. Why would he put it that way? Well, he's connecting the body of Christ with the kingdom of God. So, the kingdom of God is not a... The way we understand the kingdom of God, we must understand it in a more kind of robust way. Than just, just a, a location of where we go after heaven. Because the kingdom of God is also, what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, I will be done. Meaning that we want God's kingdom in our midst right now. And so, unfortunately, we think about kingdom in terms of geography or location when the word itself in the Greek is more of a reigning, God's reign r-e-i-g-n not rain falling out of heaven okay um so it's the way god rules and so it's both of that it's all that going on at once and so when jesus says he will eat again with them in his kingdom it's precisely the kingdom that's come to earth through the body of jesus so it was a great question palmer did a great job asking a question so by Luke 24, the state of humiliation is over, though. Okay, Scott brought up a big word. State of humiliation. What does that mean, Scott? Limited by a human body. Okay, right. So, um, he still has a human body. He's, he is no longer limited by his human body. Yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really important for us. Because in, after the road to Emmaus... Um, Jesus meets them at the, um, the Sea of Tiberias he's like hey what are you afraid of because they think he saw a ghost I'm not a ghost look it touch me see my hands and my feet touch me ghosts don't have flesh and bones which I'm always interested it's like a bone sticking out or something like you know can't you, I mean he makes a reference of looking at the flesh and bones a little Halloween thing maybe Anyways, yeah, okay, so Scott actually brings up a really good point, and this is something that we probably will, well, we'll just talk about it right now. Actually, just turn into your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke Luke chapter 24, this is the road to Emmaus. I'm not going to read the whole thing, because it's 22 verses, but maybe you guys can just read it while I speak. I I actually might, I'm going to need a Bible now. Can uh, someone hand me the Bible? Thank you. Okay. So the road to Emmaus. Okay, so Jesus, uh, this is on Easter Sunday. Uh, Cleopas and the other disciple are walking from Jerusalem to their home. To Emmaus. And Jesus comes up next to them. And they don't recognize him. But this goes to Scott's point. Why would they not be able to recognize Jesus? Just think about this. Why would they not be able to recognize Jesus? He like everybody else. What does that mean? What does he look, I mean, he looked like, but did he not look like Jesus? He hit, he hit, he hit himself. Nah. Well, we don't know if he hid himself. I mean, insofar as, was there an act of hiding himself? That, that's actually not in the Bible, but that's a possibility. He could have. I think they thought Jesus was dead, and so this person was who I was with There's no way it could be them. Yeah, so that's another possibility. It's just it's beyond the pa- like beyond the pale, right? Of of human existence. How can we imagine something that's never happened before? Like, how can you think of the impossible? Because if you've thought of the impossible, well it's it's no longer impossible, right? So <laughs> Michael? It's it wasn't about Jesus, but it was about they were not seeing correctly. Hey. Yeah, that's right. So, this is, this is, goes, so in, we've been talking about hearing, right? Everyone in, in, in the gospel stories hears the same words, meaning the same sounds coming out of Jesus' mouth. And yet, some hear something, one thing, and another person hears another thing. So it's the way of hearing, and so in this example, in the rotundus, it really is their eyeballs. But that doesn't discount all the answers you just said, though. By the way, you know, um, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe the way he was dressed made him. Because I, first of all, I, I walk down the street. I walk down the street, Max, all the time, and. I'm at the grocery store, I'm on the prairie path jogging, and it's not until I say, hi, Mitchell. Mitchell's like, oh, hey, oh, Pastor Nelson, I didn't recognize you. So it, it could be, Roy, it could be the fact that he just looked like everybody else. He had a different outfit on or something. Um, could be, you know? The opposite reaction to that at the grocery store. Well, this guy looked at me, he was like, <laughs> <laughs> I like, they, like, they, they think and they know who you are but they don't alright but Max go ahead um, just that specific comments that I heard everybody say it, just the eyes were closed we everything right. they heard they still eyes are open yet to the resurrection of the. And, and I don't blame them right I mean goodness how can that be but see this is also this is an interesting thing because let's just take a look at what happens okay so he comes up next to them and he says hey what what are you talking about and they so this is in verse 19 and they said to him concerning things concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel and yes, beside all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. All right, so, right? They thought this. It can't happen. And then it gets even stranger in verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were in the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, he, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So that's even stranger. Somebody said he was alive. Again, they're talking to Jesus, telling him what happened to him. So just skip down to verse 25. And he said to them, Oh foolish ones. You know, that, I mean, that could be harsh, I suppose. But it could also be just a true statement. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. So he doesn't say anything about seeing. But he's talking about their heart and speaking, their ears. So they can't see until their heart has been opened. I mean, their ears have been opened and their hearts has been opened. Okay, so how does he do that? He does that with God's word. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So how does he remove the veil from their eyes? It's through God's Word, the Old Testament specifically. But there's something else to this, and that is what happens next. So they come near to their house. He looks like he's going to keep going, and they say, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. Oh, real quick, they still didn't recognize him. They did not. Well, even though he spoke scripture to them and Still didn't yeah, right now, but we do learn a little bit about what they were experiencing while he was opening scriptures in, in, in one second when they start talking to themselves, or amongst themselves. How long would it have taken him you know, to explain all of the Old Testament scriptures to them that had something to do with him? I mean, the sermon's got ten minutes. That's exactly, I was just going to say, you've got you to explain everything in ten words or less. So... um well, I mean, here's the thing. It was probably short. I don't think Jesus minced any words, so I could I could say that's why we preach such short sermons. We're just trying to be like Jesus. Nice. So, you know, Jesus' shortest sermon, though. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the gospel. That's it's a pretty short sermon. Uh, okay, so he comes in and, and they, they sit down. And when he was at table with them, which again, that's kind of a funny way to say it, he puts him at the head of the table, even though it's not his table, it's their table, but he's acting like he is the host. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Of course, took the bread, blessed, broke it. That is Lord's Supper language. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, And he vanished from their sight okay now this is kind of an interesting thing right he was in front of them they couldn't see him now they can see him but he's not there but he is there He just they can't see him this is really important because it's not that he's gone this is not a magic trick so the word vanished actually means uh like, they, like, their eye, like they, they can't use their eyes to see him anymore. You know? So, he's present. He's with them. But they don't use their eyeballs. They're real eyeballs. Because where, where is he? Uh, jump down to verse 35. Oh, hang on. We've got to do the burning heart thing, though. Um... Verse thirty-two. And they said to each other, "Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures?" Okay. So back to Craig's question. They still, they just, they still didn't see him, even though he opened scriptures to them. Well, something was happening, right? And so, it wasn't until the Lord's Supper that they could understand what was happening with the opening of the scriptures. Okay, so now let's go, now, then jump down to 35. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they know he's there in the breaking of the bread. In the Lord's Supper, they know he's there. But this is something that's really important for us because of how we understand reality. Because we need to understand reality according to God's word. So the world is a scriptural world. And again, all of us would love to have Jesus standing here amongst us, right? But we presume that we would actually be able to see him. Because we have stories in the Bible of him being with people and they can't see him. So we, first of all, we have to ask ourselves, am I any different than those people? Well, you have to answer that question. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. But if you're not, it's okay, because Jesus has another way of being with you. And that is what is described in Luke chapter 24. So Jesus is is with them in the breaking of the bread. But again, this goes back to what Scott said earlier. Jesus' body is no longer restricted by sin and death. So this body is, is utterly unique. Okay? So this is the other thing, too, is that how can we receive this? How can we receive him? How can we receive him? We are still sinful. We are still uh, headed toward death. And so how does Jesus... Uh, live in relationship with us when he is beyond death, beyond sin, no longer restricted by that? How does that? Uh, through the word and sacraments. This is Luke chapter 24. So Jesus' says means, means, uh, the ways of being with us, the means to be with us, that is actually merciful to us. Because it's, it's not until we are in heaven that we will see him face to face. Michael. How does the church treat this later? Because you know, we, we can see the sacraments. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so this is another great point, Michael. Did you guys hear him? We can see the sacraments. We can see the consecrated bread. We can see the consecrated wine. We can see the water. But we can also hear the word, too. Again, it's it's a human word, right? It's a human word. And as as the examples I've always said before, what is what does Jesus sound like? Well he sounds like me. <laughs> no. Right? So it plays on all the levels, is what I'm getting at. So Michael Michael is actually so okay. So we actually do see something, and that's really important for us. It's not as if it's imaginary. We are not pretending. But we are trusting. And by that faith, we can now see. And what do we see? Well, we do see something. And for the person outside the faith, it's ridiculous. We're looking at a piece of bread, or a little sip of wine, or a human word, or a little bit of water. But through the eyes of faith, that blows open everything. That blows up open reality. And we see the Holy Spirit coming down at baptism. We, we hear a word from heaven saying, Behold, you are my child. With you I am well pleased. And then also, Jesus, God living in us through the Lord's Supper. So this is something really important for us. This is the tangent, but important tangent, is that we are not irrational. Christians are not irrational. like we're pretending these things to be true but as the bible as as verse 35 we know them we know him in the breaking of the bread we know this but our knowledge is not restricted by observation but is enlightened by the word of god so our senses are awakened I can keep going on this tangent, it's really, I love this tangent, so. uh, Paul. So I heard you say that when he broke the bread, they finally recognized who he was, but then he disappeared from their sight and you were saying he was still there. He was. Just like the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, This also goes into, the How can you observe something that is impossible? Like, how, how can your human mind understand it? So it, it actually, this, there's an argument to be made, and this is what I would say. It wasn't as if Jesus was less there. He was so much there that they couldn't take it in. And so the only way to describe that experiences by saying he he's he vanished yeah and I think that's probably the better way of understanding that if anyone's really into this uh, idea there's a French philosopher Jean-Luc Marion I don't know how you say it in Brazilian but shouldn't ask Um, Jean-Luc Marion Jean-Luc Marion that's how I would say it up in Wisconsin Uh, And he has a wonderful article on this basic premise that when Jesus vanishes it, it's because there's so much, divinity is like, God is so saturated this moment that it's too much that they they can't see it. And it's a really, a, a really wonderful way of understanding it because it accentuates the presence, not the absence. David. Will you describe the difference between Jesus being there physically in his body and his presence in the bread in the Lord's Supper? Um, You mean in Luke chapter 24? Well, just in general. Like, so, you know, Jesus being there as a man in his body, in his resurrected body, the difference between that and him being in the bread in the Lord's Supper? Well, uh, there's not really much of a difference. In so far as when he Jesus is present in the bread and the wine, he is sacramentally present, meaning he's physically present. He is, you know, um, uh, spiritually present. His full divinity is present. Um, If he is a, you know, a he can be in both places at the same time. Is what I'm saying. So if he were, you know, let's say he showed up tonight. And we had a church service. He, of course, would be the preacher and the celebrant. And he would distribute his body and blood in the bread and wine. He would, he would be the, the host, he would be the meal. You know I mean? And I think John Kleinig uh, says, you know, he's the preacher and the sermon. So it's like he's the host and the meal in the Lord's Supper also. But, um, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's, that doesn't make philosophical sense, though. That's a whole other story, but we don't need to talk about that. All right, okay, so what does that have to do with anything? Let's just talk a little bit about the ministry of the word, because we're going to segue into this, because I do want to get to uh, law gospel and the phrase, kiss me, baby. I would like to get to that tonight. Um, so let's just, let's just, uh, if if you want to, I think it's this, I forgot the page number. So I think it's the second page on the top. It says ministry of the word. So what we're getting at here is there is somewhat of a circular flow and I I don't know how to do graphics. So there's a circular flow to Jesus's ministry of the word. Now, what do I be my ministry? That is the minister of rec- ministry of reconciliation. This idea that God's word is reconciling the world to himself. We're going to bring all the sinners back into pr- the presence with God. So it starts with Jesus. Jesus gives, he ordains pastors. That's John chapter 20. Excuse me. Uh, Matthew 28. Excuse me. <laughs> But then the pastors, of course, are preaching this word to the congregation. So this, so this, so it's like a, a, a. So Jesus hands it off to the pastors. Pastors hand it off to the congregation, and then the congregation hands it off to the world. Now, of course, that word is supposed to do what with the world? Bring them to Jesus. Which, of course, then. Jesus gives the word to the pastors. The world now is part of the church, and it keeps, keeps going. It's a wonderful, wonderful flow. And I think on the, I made a copy of... Now, if you fall asleep here, I don't, I don't mind. I would. But on the back, I have this copy of something. It's called the Augsburg Confession. And a lot of us would maybe understand. This is what makes us Lutheran. The Augsburg Confession. And there are articles of, meaning like there are statements of belief. This was written in the 16th century. And the Lutherans had an audience with the Holy Roman Emperor and a papal delegate. And they basically were like, hey, we are Catholic Christians, meaning we're not doing anything different. Then what's been happening? And then we'll show you. But we have some questions on, a, on some things. So the first part, this part that you're actually reading, was the Lutheran's understanding of, hey, we're, this is what everyone believes. Okay. But there's number five. Oh, I'm sorry. There was two translations, a German translation and Latin translation. Obviously, these are in English. But if you look on the top, you'll see German text, Latin text, Okay, hopefully you're still awake. I know it's boring. I mean, it's a little complicated, but... um, Number five. Concerning the office of preaching, or, if you read the Latin text, concerning ministry in the church. Uh, I'm just reading the Latin one here. So that we may obtain this faith. What's this faith? Well, that's Article 4, and that is justification. That is like the, the... that is Jesus saving us. So in order to have that faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and ministering the sacraments was instituted. So, the office of the holy ministry. For through the word and the sacraments as through instruments the Holy Spirit is given, who affects faith where and when it pleases God and those who hear the gospel. That is to say, in those who hear that God, not on account of our own merits, but on account of Christ, justifies those who believe that they are received into grace on account of Christ. Okay. Basically, how do we get this message of reconcil- how do we get this message of reconciliation to us? Through the preaching and the administration of the sacraments. Now, if you take a look at Article Six, it's called Concerning the New Obedience. And we're going to come back to that here in a second. But, there is this flow to it. Jesus, pastors, and now the new obedience. What does that mean? Our Christian life together. That gets then sucked up, that tries to get the the world to come into relationship with Christ. So... um, so there's this organic connection between Jesus' word and the preached word. And then the word that you share with the world. This is all kind of connected. And it's a flow that everyone has this vocation in. This, this, this kind of this job. So it's not just the pastor's job. I, I made a joke with Pastor Witt. <laughs> but my... Uh, I have a lot of friends who will, pastors who sit in, uh, call, like, uh, like, interviews for calls, and all the call committee says, hey, pastor, we, we really are expecting you to bring all the young people in. And, you know, and, um, well, they're, adv- they're advocating their role in the life of the church. <laughs> that's the pastor's job to bring people in. I'm not sure how he can preach, teach, care for his parishioners, oh yeah, and then also get all these people to come in. Actually, that's not how it works. Preach, teach, and then the whole congregation works with in sync with Jesus to bring people in. So, this is how that's how the ministry of the word works, but everyone is involved in it. I mean, this is the important thing. It's it's not just the pastor's job. We all have this role in the ministry of the word. And that is really important for us. And, of course, we see this. I'm not going to go back to Luke chapter 24, but we see this uh, play out in Cleopas and the other disciple. Side note, Cleopas and the other disciple, they are not apostles. I mean, not yet, I don't know. And um, so, it's not as if he is, Jesus is preaching to a, 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 like pastors. He's preaching to regular disciples like you guys. And what do they do? Well, they go and they go tell people. Like, oh my word, I, this experience, holy smokes, this happened. But that's the template for all of us. Because Jesus has come into your life, you might not have recognized him right away, but through the opening of the scriptures and the ministry of the sacraments, the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes wow. for you to then share the same story. Yeah, it, um, great. All right, we are running out of time. and um, Okay, so we kind of went out of order here. Just as the something done to us, not that we do. That's exactly right. How does he do it to us? Through the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. This is also the, but this goes then back to the first point, and the word of God energizing us. This is very important for us because when the word of God energizes us, John fourteen twelve, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. I mean, how can that happen? Right? How can that be true? How are we going to do the works of Christ and even greater works in Christ? What does this mean? Well, maybe he's lying. Oh, wait, that can't happen. Uh, maybe he's just making us feel bad to tell us that we really can't do it. Uh, I don't think that's ha- either. Okay. So what are the works of Jesus? Well, John 629. Um if you want to turn to it, great. If not, that's okay. I'll read it here in one second. If I, <laughs> if I go the right way in my Bible. All right, 6.29. This is the work of God. So just in case you're wondering what what the work of God, what is Jesus talking about? That you believe in him whom he has sent. So what are the works is he talking about? Well, first, the work of God creates faith. So whatever you are going to do, it is in regards to creating faith. John chapter 20, 30 and 31 Jesus did all these things amongst the disciples. Many more things did he do. But these, these things are written that you may believe and have life in his name. So, all the works that Jesus is talking about, the ultimate work of God is to create faith in the person. And the works that we do which I know a lot of people don't like using that language, but I am just using Jesus' language, and we'll get to what that means here in a second, because I think a lot of people think about themselves too much. So you need to stop thinking about yourself. The things that we do, we're not going around healing some guy you know, with a broken leg. and What we are interested in is he, creating faith. How is faith created? Through the Word and the sacraments. Uh, yesterday a pastor chats. I was asked, do we have the, the linen cloth that wrapped Jesus in the tomb? And I said, yeah, some people think that we do. It's the shroud of Turin, right? Um, but you know, I don't believe in Jesus because of the shroud of Turin. I have something more sure than the shroud of Turin. I have God's word. And this young, young woman... Looked at me and she's like, "Yeah, I suppose you're right." That's what she said. She goes, "Yeah, you're." Or no, she goes, "Yeah, you're probably right." That was Fiona, by the way. <laughs> 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 I, I love. It was such a. Uh, to be honest, it was one of those times where like I could not have lobbed that question easier to a child, but I wasn't planning for it, and she just hit it out of the park. I was like. You know what, I just pitched that right down the middle, and you hit that thing. But that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to say here, but now I have to answer this question. Okay, but see, this is the thing, is that, um, okay, so the most important work that Jesus does is create faith in, in us. Well, how does he do that? By his death and resurrection. But how do we, how do we work into that same thing? That is by his word and the sacraments. Okay, but that word is a living word. Hebrews 4.12, living and active. Well, where does it live? It lives in us. Okay, so faith and works go together. That's Augsburg Confession 4, 5, and 6. 4 is justification. 5 is the ministry. 6 is the new obedience. This word, then, is a living and active word that gets transmitted or passed along To each of us. So faith in works, believing means living in a particular way. Like for instance, if I believe I stick my finger in the electrical outlet, I will get electrocuted. I will live in a particular way. I mean, that's true. If you do not believe that you will not get electrocuted by sticking your finger in the outlet, you will in fact what? Stick your finger in the outlet. But I believe that I will get electrocuted, so I live in a particular way. So when we say we believe in Jesus, we live in a particular way. That's just that's what belief is. Again, going back for the last few weeks, the destiny of God's Word is our bodies, not our minds. Okay. But we see this in the Old Testament with the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4-6. through 6. And I I think we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, so I'm just going to... So, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. Okay. Hearing and doing, listening and doing, are the two sides of the same coin. God's Word being given and then living in you. So, I have a quote from page 109. God works faith in us through Jesus so that by faith we may do the work of God together with Jesus. This is so important for us, is that our Christian life is meant to be done with Jesus. Not on our own, but with Jesus. Unfortunately, when Jesus tells us to do something that we think is too hard for us, he must either not mean it, Or he's saying this to help us acknowledge that we're sinners. So, when Jesus talks, we can understand it as a calling or as a condemnation. And they're both right. So, Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, it's three chapters. We're not going to read it all. But I gave you, I think, four passages. The first one is um, about lust. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a guy problem. Just, I'll be honest. We're men. Men have a problem with lust. Okay. So when Jesus says, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery with her, we could do a couple things. We could say, well, I need to pluck my eyeballs out. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Rather, you should be blind rather than go to hell. Or we can change the way we see things new eyes. So maybe Jesus is calling us to a new way of seeing our fellow sisters, our fellow humanity. And by calling us to that, he's actually empowering us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Ten Commandments. Are the Ten Commandments written to show us our sins? Yeah. However, are, are they a calling for us to live a holy life? Yes. How do we live that holy life? By the power of God's word through the Holy Spirit. So we have to have the right understanding of faith and works, law, gospel, calling, and condemnation. They're all, they're all kind of another, you know, ways of saying the same thing. So we do this with our vicars. who have a very, like, if Jesus gives an imperative it's law meaning it reveals our sinful nature like shows us something that we can't do now for those who aren't married just bear with me i can tell you right now if my wife says kiss me baby is that a calling or a condemnation Is that imperative? Is that a law or gospel word? Exactly. So you just have to just hang on there. Gospel? It's a gospel word. I'll tell you that much right now. Okay. You could say, oh, I got to do this. And if you do say that, my couch is unavailable. You cannot come over to my house and sleep on my couch. But I can tell you where you're not sleeping. Okay, this is the joy of God's Word. When He speaks to us, it, our hearts burn within us, uh, like in Luke chapter 24. It burns with love, so that when Jesus says, do this, or don't do that, we say, praise God. Now, of course, are we perfect? No. That's why forgiveness and reconciliation comes in and, and then empowers us to continue along. It removes the shame and the guilt and then empowers us to carry on for, for a better life. Uh, John Kleinig does use a ballet dancer in, in music. And I'm sure that resonated with most men here, right? How we all feel about when we ballet dance and we get lost in the music, right? Mitchell, right? That's how you, you, you just resonated with that. I, to be honest, when I read that, I was like, oh, "That's not gonna work. Let's cross that out." Um, I, I, I thought maybe, like a sailboat, maybe, you know, like uh, the Holy Spirit is the wind that blows the sailboat, but the sailboat's the move, you know, it moves. That might be a little bit easier than maybe the ballet dancer. I don't know. Maybe you guys are ballet dancers. I'm not. So, okay. Any questions? Yeah. You're going to do these works and more than that. Right. And that's the point of saying that basically that means we're to hear the word and spread the word and help people, other people have faith. Right. And, but I always thought maybe mm-hmm. he's saying that we should be doing some of the miracles and works and wonders that he did and we're not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good good question. Yep. And there's, there's a passage Revelation, wherever making mm-hmm. uh, one of Paul's uh, letters. Mm-hmm. He said, "In the end times, uh, people will hold to a form of godliness, but deny its power." Right. What is the power of godliness? Is it not miracles, or what is it? I mean, I, I think uh, the healing of the par- paralyzed man in Mark chapter two is very helpful. What What is the most important thing in that? What What got people most riled up? when Jesus said, I forgive you your sins. Your sins are forgiven. So the most important thing is, is this guy, it wasn't his healing of his legs that was most important. It was his sins were forgiven because, again, that guy's going to die no matter what. And when he dies, having great legs and being able to walk is not going to help him, but his sins forgiven will help him. Now, granted, yeah. Do I not believe in miracles? I believe in miracles, absolutely. I, they are there then to help support the word of faith. But when miracles distract from the word of faith, I don't think God allows it to happen. I, don't, I, don't, I think people put faith in the miracles and not in the word. So, yeah. So that, that's really, that's really kind of where we're at. The, um, but, okay, but Paul raises a good point. I want to make sure everybody understands that is that, yes, miracles happen, and I think they do happen. But I think God is wise enough to make sure it doesn't happen on TikTok and social media. (laughs) Right? Because then then people are like, I don't care about Jesus. I just want my legs to work. Yeah. Like, yes? I had a question, sir. I just learned something about what I'm learning right here today about this greater work. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. good for me to say what i was understanding now with the scriptures. The greater work for me is this. I was a sinner going to hell. Mm-hmm. And I'm saved now by him showing me the sacraments. I'm forgiven. Yep. And now the greater work is to follow the word and do what it says in my life. Is that what? Yeah, I mean? yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, so the other idea about greater work, the word greater also means that it's continuing on. So, this is the thing is that Jesus then gives us the ministry of his word? Expansion, Expansion yeah. So, it's, it's greater now. Yeah. But, yeah, not just, yeah, also personally, though, in my own life, but also in the world, the growth of the, the yeah. Great point. Any other questions? Roy? Uh, this is a phenomenon that uh, of people who follow the Bible, how does that affect those who ignore the Bible and don't accept it? I mean, it's, they're not going to experience what you've been talking about. That's right. Yeah, so, okay, great. So then that, that really, how does that make us feel? I mean, insofar as sharing God's Word, God's love, That should empower us. That should just drive us to do that. Now, again, we have our own vocations, though. So God puts people in our life. I don't think we really need to look hard for that. Um, Yeah, so that is part of the ministry of the word to expand that to share with those people who haven't or haven't heard. Now, again, yeah, that's probably too much of a tangent. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, we are still, we got to spend some more, I got, okay, we're going to need to go down and do evening prayer.